Well, hello, hello, and welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by some folks. I almost hate to mention them because some of them may not choose to be on the mic. I'll call them anyway. Uh, Andrew, Darren, uh, Matt, how you doing? Uh, glad you're here or kind of here or whatever form of here you are. Um, we are going to uh, continue our conversation on sex. Um, this might end up being a solo show. <laughs> I have no idea. It might be. It might end up being a conversation. We will have some guests uh, next week. I heard from uh, Russell this morning. Uh, those of you who are the praying kind, I'm just going to put out a call to uh, ask for some general blessings uh, toward uh, Russell's way. He's going through some stuff, and um, I, I'm sure that he would appreciate uh, that. Those of you who are new age kinds, you know, send your uh, mental energies. Uh, his way. Those of you who are neither uh, have, you know, have some thoughts and more thoughts uh, for uh, for Russell. So uh, there are reasons why he's not here. He's not boycotting the show. He'll be here next week. He'll have uh, we'll have some Christian guests uh, on then. Um, so today I want to uh, talk about uh, theological aspects of sexuality. I think that that's a very important thing. It's not just because I'm a theology wonk and I like talking about theology. It's just a bonus. Uh, I actually think that you have to talk about theology, though, if we want to understand some of how we got here, because I think that uh, a lot of our popular understandings and mores around sex are dominated by theology. Uh, and so I think this is one of those areas uh, in society where religion won. And, and we're just now starting to dig out from under uh, some of that is very, very difficult to do. So I want to, I want to take a look at that. I want to take a look at some of how we got here. Uh, I've got five uh, things I'm going to go over. Uh, and so I will start right in with number one. Uh, does uh, prohibiting sex outside of marriage make sense outside of a religious context? So I was a, I was a Christian once upon a time, and I just accepted for whatever reason, that uh, sex outside of marriage was wrong. In fact, uh, there are two words in the Bible that often get conflated. One of them is adultery. One of them is fornication. And I don't know what the proper meaning of those words are. I'm just going to tell you <laughs> right off. Uh, so if there's some uh, biblical scholars out there who uh, know more about it than I do, uh, feel free to chime in, skepticsandseekers.com squarespace.com but the way i always cast it out was adultery was uh was cheating so you're married and you're having sex with someone else and fornication was just uh sex uh in general outside of marriage uh i have heard it uh described the other way i have heard the two uh described as the same thing uh they often get conflated i don't know uh honestly what the difference is between those two things, uh, but I always had a separation in my mind of uh, a, a married person having sex outside of marriage uh, and then a person who's not married having sex. Both were wrong. Um, any of uh, any of you uh, in uh, uh, in here have any um, insight on fornication and adultery before I move forward? Well, I think as long as everyone involved is being honest and um, uh, not piling on expectations on someone else without consent, then I think I don't see why it wouldn't, um, either outside or inside of a religion. I mean, if you believe that a God exists and he created us and he apparently made uh, created sex to feel good, so it seems sort of odd that he would make it feel good and then the uh demand that we don't do it right so there there is a there is a natural component to this i'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week but the the natural component is that sex is um it's such a fundamental and strong drive in humans that it's 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 outsized. It's too strong of a drive 
it seems uh we there there are situations where it seems we excuse me uh where the sex drive is stronger than the survival instinct and that just seems kind of out of whack but then to have that drive uh plus a bunch of restrictions on top of it seems cruel but more than that we get the sex drive very early in life uh so uh at least by 12 uh people people usually figure out all about by themselves how to masturbate um and the reason they figure it out is because they they really want to um they have they have a drive and um they're they're pushed to do it but i can tell you that uh there are plenty of kids where that drive wakes up before 12. and so my point is you've got this crazy strong drive uh that seems to be extremely natural but it also is kind of wrong to do anything with it until you're crazy old uh, our brains don't fully develop until we're about 24, 25, 26 in that area. Uh, that would seem crazy to say that, you know, from the time your sex drive wakes up, you know, you shouldn't have sex until your brain fully develops. And so, you know, we had some discussion about this last week. You know, what what is the middle point? What is the point where you say, well, OK, sex is OK. Um, usually we don't say 12 or 13. Um, and so there's there's just this kind of challenging um, point of you know how we how we nail that down and where we say it's okay and where it's okay for kids to experiment and you know there's there's the physical and the mentally emotional and, and cultural and uh, safety aspects of it all that are very confusing. But from a God perspective, if you're if you're saying that God made us like this, none of that makes sense at all. Uh, if you're saying that evolution has made a hash of it, great, I got, I gotcha. But if you're saying God did this on purpose, well, that's an evil God. The only thing that the Christian can say to this, it's the only thing that I've ever heard a Christian say to this. In fact, I heard a Christian say this last week, uh, was that, well, maybe God didn't make us that way, but because of the fall, because of sin, then our, we have a, a sex drive. Yeah, but that would only make sense if God didn't create the fall and what the rules for what would happen if the fall happened. Right. No, I, so, I perfectly <laughs> agree with you there. It's like it's a failure mode. Um, so uh, I think all of us know a little bit about computers and programming that happen to be uh, on this panel. Uh, and so when I say failure mode, all of you know what I'm talking about. So if you if you have a, a piece of software, uh, one failure mode might be uh, something went wrong and it knows exactly what happened and it puts a screen uh, uh, on your display and it says, uh, you know, crash um, 4, 414 uh, and it might uh, give some description of what that particular crash means. Uh, and then if you're on a Mac, it gives you the opportunity to send a crash report uh, to either Apple or the developer or what have you. And so... Uh, that's a failure mode. But in the God case, the failure mode for humans would it would be the equivalent of you're running a piece of software and uh, something goes wrong and it blows up your house. Um, that's not a failure mode. That's a terrorist attack. <laughs> that's you, we wouldn't call that a failure mode at all. And and so when God, uh, when you say, well, the uh, the DNA of the human structure just just blew up completely. Well, that's not a failure mode from eating a piece of fruit. That's that's God setting off a bomb. So there's a, there's a difference. Uh, what's fascinating to me about blaming sex drive on the fall is, okay, fine. But let's just pretend for a moment that that's where uh, uh, this sort of early onset timing for, for sex drive happens and it doesn't coincide with our intellectual development. So let's let's say that the fall is responsible for that. What I find um, what I find fascinating is that the Christians say, oh yeah, and uh, God's response to the fall. <laughs> well that all makes perfect sense. And this this God that we're talking about, he's, he's a free will, he's a free will agent. He could choose. 
to respond with his with his commands and edicts, his injunctions and precepts. He could choose to respond in any way that he wanted. But so if you blame the fall on this early sex drive and and uh, only later our intellectual capacity, that still doesn't answer why the the Jewish God who eventually became the, the Christian God. Uh, has the sort of very strange responses to human sex drive that he has. Well, I think the uh, the apologetic that I heard about that is that um, God doesn't actually have free will. Um, he's basically a robot, but they call that a different type of free will than we have. It's yeah. like perfect free will or some something like that. But it basically means he's a robot and can't do anything um, and isn't powerful enough to fix anything that he broke or anything like that it's kind right. of makes god infantile at that point right so, so, so the fall happens and now god wants your foreskin right okay <laughs> so let's uh let's let's just um look at this uh question directly um so that we don't so that we can get to uh the rest of it does it make sense in a christian context uh to limit sex to just within marriage and not out side of or outside of marriage so the question is actually does it make sense outside of a religious religious context i i think the answer is no for me i've i've thought about this all week and i can't think of any good reason why people who aren't married shouldn't be able to have sex it's not like you only get a sex drive when you're married so i don't i don't see any reason why uh, adults can't uh act on that but from a religious uh point of view, uh, Darren earlier uh, asked off mic, does it does it make sense to limit sex to marriage even inside of a religious context? And I, it, my answer to that is I think it's actually harder to justify in a Christian context than it is outside of a Christian context to just limit sex to inside of a marriage. Because in the in the Christian context, if we are looking at the God of the Old Testament and the, the behavior of that, um, God allowed men to have multiple wives. In fact, it was enshrined into law that men had multiple wives because if uh, a person had uh, you know, several brothers uh, and uh, the, one of the brothers died, you know, the oldest brother, the next oldest brother would have to take on that person's wife uh, along with his wife. So he'd have two wives at that point. So even if you only married one wife, you were potentially going to end up being a polygamist under this law. Uh, so th this is a situation where there are multiple marriages, but even outside of that, it seemed to be okay for, uh, men of God, especially men of wealth, uh, who were men of God to have, uh, concubines. Uh, now, I don't know when concubines were first introduced as a thing, but a concubine is basically a mistress, a, a girlfriend, a, um, a sex partner that's not your wife, uh, that, but that is also maybe a part of your household, maybe a female slave, maybe uh, uh, one of your servants. Um, so concubines were okay, and you could have sex with your uh, with your concubines. Uh, so does there, there didn't seem to be a prohibition about not having sex, uh, with someone who wasn't your one and only wife in, in the old Testament. And so we, we get some, um, we get some more clarity on that in the new Testament, but there doesn't seem to be anything fundamentally wrong with it. Uh, because the God of the Bible certainly never forbade it, never suggested at any point that it was wrong, never told his own people not to do it. Um, so I don't, I don't actually know what the Christian argument is outside of uh, a few New Testament passages. And I'm not entirely sure that you could say that those passages would have overthrown uh, the Jewish understanding of morality on on this issue if you don't mind i'll take a swing at it uh, just just to give the christians something to to talk about i'll try to i'll try to defend the christian position for a moment if you want me to sure because so, i can't well 
<laughs> I'll just go ahead and say there's there's a fail coming up. Uh, but but here's the way uh, it is taught in in some seminary classes. So in conservative hermeneutics, we've talked about this occasionally in the past. Um, there are certain kinds of examples that take on the force of command: a, a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, right? And at least in some hermeneutic traditions, the idea that that God made an original couple and Adam and an Eve, right? And and these are the same people that say God made Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve, but it's maybe for, for later. Um, these are the people who would say that this example of an original couple, this, this first couple, takes on the force of command by the very nature uh, uh, of its example. And only later did people, uh, you know, somewhere around the flood, that, that kind of time frame, start to violate this, uh, this example that God set forth by uh, creating this first couple and that we are supposed to, uh, by implication, uh, we're supposed to necessarily infer that that was God's, uh, that was God's design for us. Um, and, and so I do, I do think you'd run into that. Uh, now, how far that'll get you? Well, that's worth talking about, but I think that's where they'd start. Well, yeah, but that's very far for me. <laughs> but yeah, because that, that doesn't per, per, um, doesn't show a fundamental wrongness to it. It's just a God said not to do it. So it's um, sort of a might makes right, God commanded it type human. Her, well, the thing is, God didn't even say not to do it. God, God didn't even say not to do it though. And so, if well, you in say, head, well, head cannon, he did. Right, but if you say God created Adam and Eve and therefore created a prototype for marriages, well, first of all, there was no marriage. There was no ceremony. There was no, um, you know, these. this is your mate for life. Uh, you must stay with each other for life and only have sex with it. There was no such command. So you have to headcanon that in. And then when we do see uh, men with multiple wives uh, popping up and concubines and so forth. We don't see God saying, why are you perverting uh, the marriage uh, model that I gave you? And in fact, we see God participating uh, in uh, allowing men to have multiple wives. Uh, the, whole, the whole children of Israel, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, that did not come from one woman. It came from two women. Uh, a, a little passion play that God himself orchestrated. And so it's, it's really hard to, to go to this um, creation story and say, well, that's the model. And then uh, the other reason why it's hard to go to this creation story and say this is the model, because we have people who are saying, oh, well, that's just, that's mytho history. Uh, you can't take all of that literally. And so, but you can, but you can take this literally, even though there are no details about how this was supposed to work in the story. You can you can take your head cannon about it literally. Well, and if you're if you're not going to be a a mytho historian, uh, if you're going to take the Genesis count as literal, right? So you've got one man and one woman, and they uh, sort of get the ball rolling. Um, there's a there's a problem starting in about Genesis four um, when when you have uh, when you have daughter, where did their where did their children? Uh, it, it almost seems that at some point there had to be some incest. Right. This is uh, that is exactly the thing I was going to say next. Oh, sorry. Uh, so no, no, that's that's fine. It's out there for anybody to say. Um, uh, and uh, hello, Dell. Uh, by the way, it's out there for um, anyone to say because the fact is, once again, if you're taking this as kind of a model then you also have to say, well, then it's also right for brothers and sisters to have sex or fathers and daughters to have sex for the purpose of procreation. Um, because that's what would have had to happen uh, unless you buy the um, theory that God made some other people over there somewhere um, for the for the purposes of, of procreation with it. Look, uh, Christians uh, have tried to get around this incest problem in lots of interesting and creative ways uh, that don't make a lot of sense of the text in front of us. And so it, it all becomes headcanon at that point. So I, I, I would think that a Christian would have a fairly hard time making an actual 
case um, that Genesis um, is is the is the thing that that uh, grounds this. But let me let me just ask on the secular side of it, um, and just try to challenge us a little bit. Are there some reasons why a person should not have sex in marriage? And I'm going to go ahead and state my position. I don't think there is. Furthermore, I think if you try to to create a, a society where no one had sex until they were married and no one could get married until they were, say, 18, I think that we would have a, a very a destruction of society. Uh, I think it would be worse than when we tried to prohibit alcohol. I think it would be... I think it would be the end of civilization, uh, not a better civilization, uh, because the drive is simply too strong. And to, to accommodate it, what we would end up doing is lowering the marriage age to about 14. We would have a lot of very early, very bad marriages, which would also, I think, uh, destroy civilization. So the consequences of, of trying to suggest that sex outside of marriage is wrong, I, I think, don't take into account any reality of the kind of people we are in the kind of society that we uh, would have. I think the consequences would be devastating. Uh, but can anyone think of maybe a, a good reason to ban sex outside of marriage uh, the, for a secular reason? I know that uh, the Christian would say, well, there are spiritual reasons, but I just want to exhaust the, uh, the, the secular component. I can't think of any. For me, it depends on whether you're using ban, uh, you know, capital B ban or uh, lowercase b ban, as in we had an agreement. So I think Darren said something about this a few minutes ago. Um, if we're going to have this conversation uh, maturely, and, and we are, well, one of the things you hope that, that people that are engaged uh, in sexual relationships are, are doing is having open conversation about the needs of everybody involved in the relationship, two or more. And so it, it may very well be that you have some agreement that, uh, you know, there's serial monogamy as a for instance, right? And so uh, while you're dating this person, you're not going to have sex with anybody else. That may take the that may take the force of a ban, but may, maybe not in the sense you mean it. Yeah, so no, by ban, that, by ban, I mean uh, illegal. It's it's taboo to, if you're not married, have sex. It, that would be wrong. And so let's say that age is not an issue. Uh, you just never married. You're 30 years old, but you can't have sex. Let's say you married, but uh, your husband died or your wife died. And you, you can't have sex anymore until you marry again. It That seems like the kind of, short-sighted um, thinking about sex that, I mean, no society could survive it. I, I, there is no society that lives that way. And I think one of the reasons is because any society that's ever tried, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so um, that said, the only thing left for a reason to ban sex out of marriage would be spiritual harm. Dale, if you're around uh, in a little while, I'm gonna give you a chance to talk about some of this because some of this uh, is is theory that comes from you and I know that you've given it some thought uh, if, if that's okay but right now I just want to get through these five questions and uh, uh, knock them out of the way so uh, in this question I actually um, uh, name check you Dale um, I suppose I could ask this question in a way that doesn't name check you, but that would then I would have to think it. I don't want to do that. Dale has expressed a few uh, a view of unauthorized sex acts, and I will just say Dale is not the only one who who has this view. By the way, he's just one of the few people who would admit to having the view. I think, but uh, he's expressed a view of unauthorized sex acts in or out of marriage. Um, uh, in that these un unauthorized or unnatural acts uh, would be prohibited based on spiritual harm. Uh, and so one of the things that I uh, wanted to uh, hear from for Christians on the board is, can you tell me more about spiritual harm? What What is the spiritual harm 
that happens if you uh, engage in unnatural uh, pro prohibited sex acts. And what are unnatural prohibited sex acts? I mean, how how would we even know what an unnatural prohibited sex act would be outside of, say, divine revelation? And also, what does divine revelation tell us about <laughs> sex acts? I don't. Uh, so I, honestly, I don't. I don't think I could get very far with this theory uh, as a Christian. But uh, Andrew, I'm going to have to punt to you again uh, as having gone through some uh, form of seminary. I noticed that. Um, uh, well, so I'll, I'll go to I'll go to Andrew first, and Dale, if you want to step in here, uh, you would be able to maybe clarify some of this. But I I want to give it a try um, first because you know I was a Christian at one point too, and I would have maybe thought something along these lines. Um, I always understood that sex inside of marriage, even as a Christian, was fair game. So. Any, anything goes, um, you know, two consenting adults who are married, uh, oral sex, anal sex, foot fetish, uh, armpit sniffing, what, what, you know, whatever you go, what, whatever floats your boats, um, you know, may your, may your floats, boats float together. Um, and it wasn't, it had nothing to do with um, procreation. Uh, because even as a kid, I realized that, you know, there are a lot of people who can't um, have children. And so if you're married and you can't have children, does that mean you can't have sex? Well, no, that sounds that was stupid. That was stupid to me uh, then. So you can't say, well, you know, the only natural sex is procreative sex. Um, because that that kind of limits sex to uh, certain kinds of people. But if you say, well, that's the only kind of natural sex, though. And so even if you can't have children, natural sex has to be the kind of sex that would result in children if children were possible. But that eliminates a lot of things that people do um, uh, in their sex life. Kissing, for instance, uh, a nice deep French kiss does not make babies. Kiss away, people. Might get mono, um, but you're not going to get pregnant. Uh, guessing that's fine um you know uh, uh it's it's very uh common in in some relationships required uh to eat out a cunt uh or cunnilingus if you prefer um cuntilingus anybody anyway um yeah that's 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 done in marriage, and once again, you're probably not going to get to the the part that you really want to do if you don't, if you don't do that part. Not um, to mention that the uh, male G spot is put in a fairly awkward place. Sure. Um, look, there's there's a lot that, there's a lot to it, but I'm just saying there are a lot of sexual things that couples do that are not procreative. Uh, and therefore, maybe some Christians would say are not natural um so i don't i don't know what we're even talking about when we're talking about um natural and unnatural acts or authorized and unauthorized acts i have i have no idea what would be in that category and how we're supposed to know andrew clear it up yeah um not gonna be something i can clear up here i'm sure i think there's at least what I'd have said back in my uh, back in my Bible school days is that we we have uh, we have instructions about certain things that we can't do from from Romans chapter one right so sodomy um, this is exactly what uh, this is exactly where uh, Dale went to so right you you and Dale are of a of a mind here. Go ahead. Well, so, 
Okay, you've you've just changed my inbox for the next week. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) Just want to say, Dale and Dale and Andrew agree one hundred percent on sex. It's not true. Okay. Okay. So, (laughs) Andrew, before you continue, perhaps you can uh, address if God is so against sodomy, why did He put the male G spot up the ass? Well, there are a lot of things that people that don't have sex don't know about sex. Let me let me just say we're gonna get to a place where this is an appropriate question in question five. Uh, so uh, Andrew, get back to explaining um, unnatural acts. <laughs> so so I think passages like Romans chapter one, and and if I were being honest, I'd have said uh, Genesis nineteen. So for those that that don't know, Genesis nineteen is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and and so there's a lot of of Christian headcanon uh, around Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them and around uh, Romans chapter one. But I think if you're just reading it with Christian eyes and uh, all of us here did except, except Darren, right? So Darren's going to read Romans chapter one, Genesis 19 and, and similar passages. And he's going to say, I don't get it. Um, but I do think that when you read it with Christian eyes, you have some reason to question what is natural and what is not. So I I think it would work much like this. Um, Anything that you would do with, uh, with your female partner, anything that a male would do with his female partner that would result in procreation under some circumstances. uh, So she's ovulating. Those are natural acts. Anything that would result uh, in, in a lack of, uh, reproduction, uh, would be something that is probably not natural, right? So that's why you, that's why you can't have anal sex even with your wife, right? Because there are no conditions under which, uh, that would result in, um, uh, in pregnancy eventually. So not all, uh, not all vaginal sex will result in pregnancy, but no anal sex would would ever result in pregnancy. But neither so would think kissing or cunnilingus or fellatio. Well, so I think there's this sort of special space where you say, right, but um, the mouth never would anyway. And so then you just make this sort of special exception. You know, you've got you've got this mouth and you're not doing anything else with it while you're having sex. Right. So so maybe kissing's OK. Look, I don't know how to uh, I, I don't know how to make that work anymore. And I have I have done the best I can do with it because some of these things we just were taught not to think about. And I think that's the real problem is that some of these questions, Christians are trained not to ask. Okay. Um, So look, I'm going to ask Darren to go on mute for a moment, which he already is. And Dale, you can give a thumbs down if you don't want to share in this, but you're the only one who you're the only one around here who can possibly say something remotely sensible on this subject since since a lot of this is your theory anyway and so if if in case i have mangled uh your thesis i would like to give you a fair chance and and i i will not respond to it and and i will hold uh all other people on uh the panel to agree to not respond to it i just want you to be able to make a um a statement about this so that you have a so that we have a record of what you what you actually think on this and maybe you can address some of uh, the, the questions raised. Gotcha. Yeah, there's um, yeah. So, so for me, there there is kind of torn because there, there's sort of a behind the scenes issue that we won't get into. Um, but at the same time, um, this is an important issue. And it does seem that I'm the only Christian here that that is willing to address it and that sort of thing. Even Teddy was kind of a little bit off about uh, coming on and doing that. So I, I some think- some will come on next week. There were there were some things that um, happened, but we should have a broader discussion next week. But I got a feeling, even after we have a Christian panel, 
you're going to have the probably the best explanation of this. Okay. All right. Cool. So, so yeah. Um, I, for the sake of the the audience and everything, I think this is important to to get out. So, yeah. So, so I think the question that we're on right now is, uh, by what criteria do are certain sex acts approved versus not approved, and that sort of thing. So, generally, I have sort of four criteria. So, this pertains to acts outside of sex as well as uh, outside of marriage as well as within marriage. So. The first one is what you know we've been kind of talking about. Number one, is it moral? Is it morally prohibited in the Bible or something like that? And that relates to this issue of spiritual harm and that sort of thing. But also number two, is the act mutually agreed upon? Is it consensual? So if you know you're putting pressure on whoever it is, even if it's a spouse, um, that's wrong and that sort of thing. If you're forcing your partner to do something they don't want to do in terms of a particular act or something, I think that's wrong. So what if the act particular is, act is just plain old vaginal sex, just procreative sex and your partner doesn't want to do that? It, it should not be coerced. Uh, now that said, there there is an element, um, and I know this was one of the questions that we'll get to, where you know, it's not just about you, you're, you're in a partnership and that sort of thing. So you do need to take into account the needs of the other partner and that sort of thing. So you don't, you know, in the Bible, there's a verse that says you shouldn't uh, deny each other for too long kind of thing, right? Um, because people, human beings have needs and that sort of thing. So I do think that um, you have to take into account the needs of the other people, the other person in the relationship and you can't just say, okay, we're never going to have sex again if you're a married couple. That's wrong to me as well. Um, so, so yeah, there's that little twist on that one. Uh, the third thing is I think it should be mutually pleasurable. I think that sex is designed to be a pleasurable activity. So this potentially could rule out some, you know, acts that make a painful act or people that are into like painful types of things i'm not i'm not sure of that's right i think that god has designed sex to be mutually pleasurable and uh finally fourthly uh it should serve this mutual bonding or this unity oneness intimacy some people have called it so those are the four criteria for me to kind of look at and say is this act good or bad um and that sort of thing and yeah, as you can tell, these relate to, okay, well, why, why are these things good? And that relates to the fact that there's harm, spiritual harm, if you violate one of these things. Um, so yeah, with homosexuality or sex before marriage, I think that um, human beings have a certain design and it goes back to Genesis. I would, I would even as a mytho history person, I would definitely use Genesis as saying, this is the original design. Uh, it's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be um, bonded kind of thing, a male and a female in the proper context of marriage. Outside of that context, I think it causes spiritual harm. Um, so one of the questions David wanted me to answer, what does that mean? Like, what, what do you mean by spiritual harm? Um, and I, I think that so in the first place it's not going to be the same for every single person but it's it relates to what i think sin in general does it, it all sin causes the spiritual harm it some people have called it a progressive degeneration right so if you tell a lie that causes spiritual harm and it adds up you know maybe you don't notice it right away it's not fully observant it's not empirically testable or something like that but sin is an infectious disease and it infects and it gets worse and worse and it builds builds up and stuff like that so that's why yeah um that's what i think is going on with the spiritual harm and it affects different people differently some people are stronger than others other people you know fall straight away into like uh sexual obsessions and stuff like that i was watching in preparation for this show a, a video by uh, Jonathan Doherty. Uh, he's an interesting. Yeah, guy. I, I watched a few videos in preparation for this show too. Uh, different, different channel. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. 
stories. Uh, keep, yeah, keep Jonathan going. Dorothy Dorothy was not a part of them. <laughs> gotcha. Well, he he's a Christian and he's he's outspoken. You know, he he uh, struggled with porn addiction and then committing adultery and and he you know he talks in vivid detail about how his soul was warped over time and increasingly got worse and worse through his um obsessions and stuff like that and i think to varying degrees that happens to everybody whenever you sin in general um it leads up to this buildup of spiritual harm and compounding effects uh but sex is sex is even more powerful because it's uh even the bible kind of differentiates sexual sins from others and says this this kind of really impacts you because of the design of sex where two people are bonding it's the most um it's the most uh, so i'm not going to respond to that but it's the most um powerful bonding experience that human beings have physically emotionally spiritually psychologically whatever you want to say um so so yeah that can deeply affect people that sort of thing when it goes wrong um, but i wonder if you would permit a question actually i'm i'm gonna stay true to my promise to Dale. However, what I what I what I'm going to ask uh, Dale though, if if you wouldn't mind, this show is not going to be as long as most of them. I promise. I I think I promise. If you if you're still around at the end, Dale, could we do like a bonus show where we just talk for 20 minutes or so about this whole spiritual harm aspect? Because I do think it's important. I do think it deserves some conversation, and I don't really have anyone in my Rolodex who could discuss it better than you. Um, so do you know what time you're planning to, to wrap up at? Or? Uh, given my choice, about five minutes. But we're only on question two, so <laughs> we've, we've got we've to push through it. But if, if you don't mind deferring some of that, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would love to, to just focus on that piece. Uh, by itself, because there there are some responses I have. I know that uh, other people on the panel have some responses. We could we could do the rest of the show on that uh, if we weren't careful. Um, so I'd I'd like to just do a, a um, you know maybe something at the end of this one, and then we can sort out any internal issues we have and just have a, a conversation about that. Would that work for you? Uh, it would, depending on on when we end, just because I'm okay. busy. But yeah. Um, if it's like going past like 145 2 o'clock then probably not but oh no have you ever known me to have a an excessively long show <laughs> yes. uh point number three. <laughs> oh, um okay did i okay. did i answer there was one last thing so go ahead and do, go ahead and do that piece for for um for the audience here just in case the the bonus material i do doesn't show up right away Gotcha. Yeah. So, so there was one last thing, you know, like the, um, yeah. So, so obviously in the proper context, I was going to give this fire metaphor. I'm sort of like scanning over my notes and stuff, but, um, you know, sex is kind of like fire outside of with it's good within certain contexts and within a stove, it allows us to cook and that sort of thing because it's fulfilling its proper designed use or something within a controlled environment. But, when it's in a different context, like it's just an uncontrolled fire on a sofa, well, that it becomes bad and that sort of thing. So that was the analogy for when, you know, it causes spiritual harm versus not. Um, but the thing I wanted to address before we move on is you asked this question about, okay, but God allows in the Old Testament, he allows uh, for divorce, he allows for um, people to have concubines and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, with, with that, I would say, number one, it's still not God's design plan. That goes back to Genesis, just like the New Testament tells us. This is God's original intent. It's true that God allows for divorce and that sort of thing. In fact, even today in the Christian era, God still allows for divorce among unbelievers. Um, the commands not to get divorced are just for Christians. So I think that this might be controversial, but I think that Christian uh, sexual union within marriage is superior to that of other marriages or, or sexual union within marriage of unbelievers. And it's it's that bonding aspect. You know, God plays an active role in connecting the two individuals within Christian marriage. 
Um, and that's why that bond is unbreakable and it causes immense damage if you break that kind of thing. Whereas there's still bond, proper bonding and stuff like that with unbelievers in heterosexual marriage, even homosexual marriage, there's bonding, but it's warped and it's, it's harmful. Um, and because of that, you can't connect to the same degree. So, so yeah, I guess the point here I'm saying is that I think that Christian marriage, sexual union within Christian marriage is special and we get uh, a, a more solid bond. Uh, and that's why you can't get divorced once you do that. Okay, so uh, every everybody here has some pushback for that and everyone is just going to have to eat it for now, <laughs> including me. Uh, but thank you, I appreciate that. And um, I, I think I think cutting that off is probably the hardest task I've ever done as a podcast host. Because every everything within me wants to respond to that right now. Um, number three, uh, do you endorse the idea that your body, uh, sexually speaking, is not your own, but the property of your spouse? Uh, and are there any exceptions uh, to this? So um, this this question wasn't asked to you, Dale, just so you know, but uh, to the audience in general. Uh, when I was a Christian, I would have said quite proudly, your body is not your own. And I would have been quoting uh, scripture to say that. Uh, and so if there are Christians who are not uh, aware of that scripture or where it is, look it up. It's your favorite book. Uh, shouldn't be shouldn't be that hard to find. So uh, that said, as a secularist, I can say that that is one of the most horrifying passages in the Bible. Uh, to me, I, I find that idea to be so um, so backward uh, and and so representative representative of what is wrong in in fundamental religion today. Um, now, to be fair, uh, there was when I said something uh, like that, or actually, it was in a is in our back channeling, right? I think um, Brian with an I, who is uh, one of the most thoughtful posters uh, we have, had some uh, had some things to say about that, and he brought up, I, if I recall correctly, I don't have it in front of me, uh, military obligations, where uh, you know your your ass belongs to Uncle Sam. Um, once you once you sign the dotted line there so there are circumstances where your body is not your own uh and those are things that you agree to prior to that and one could say that well marriage is a thing where you agree uh that your bodies are not your own but i, I think that there are some circumstances where you shouldn't be able to agree to sell your body uh as it were as as a thing that belongs to someone else. I don't believe that a person should be able to sell themselves into slavery. You know, maybe they think that, you know, they are they are a lowly creature. Uh, you know, maybe they were uh, born in, in the wrong caste in India and, you know, being sold into slavery would be a high honor. I don't think that uh, that should be allowed. I don't think that should be a good thing. So I do believe that there uh, should be some some limitations there and you can say i'm being inconsistent considering my stance on suicide don't have time to go into why i don't think that's terribly inconsistent but um you know there's some conversation to be had around that but in terms of uh, of marriage and sexuality because this passage is specifically talking about sexuality and uh, as dale mentioned uh, there's there's the one exception where you know you're going through some kind of spiritual thing, maybe prayer of season of fair and, prayer and fasting, uh, where you can say, yeah, I'm not having sex with this at, at this point. But it, those times have to be brief and rare because your body belongs to your partner, and when your partner needs it, your partner needs it, and you don't have the right to say no. And I think that there is never a time when you don't have the right to say no. And, and to think otherwise is just to be on the wrong side of history and the wrong side of humanity. 
and and there is no theological argument that can that can move me on on that score. That said, um, panel, uh, anyone who wants to jump in there, body, you're on. Yeah, I I um, as I agree with you mostly. But I would say even if someone wants to sell themselves into slavery, they should be allowed to, as long as they're also allowed to change their mind whenever they want. I think a person's bodily autonomy is absolute and whatever they want to do, they get to do and whatever makes them happy, they get to do with their own body, um, regardless of how that affects everyone else, because it shouldn't affect anyone else. It's their body. It's their rules. They get to do with the, whatever they want. So I do I do agree with that, but we're just kind of redefining slavery a little bit when we say that because you, if you say yeah, but I can get out anytime I want to, it's not really slavery. And so in in sexuality, there's the um, there's the uh, kind of the master slave uh, relationship that works very well for a lot of people. A lot of women prefer this, but in those situations, the woman is always in control. It may, it, it may not look like it to the outsider, but that's always the case. Um, and so whoever the subservient party is, whether it's man or the woman, that's the, that's the one who's actually in control of that the situation. Thing, mm, the strange thing to me here is that in the Christian worldview, you have to wait and get married uh, before you have sex. Now, if I, I, I'm not asking Dale to respond, but he's got a very common Christian view. So let's paint this uh, the way it really is. Very common view that you have to wait until marriage. And then the first sex experience that you have with your partner is supposed to be this, this spiritual bonding experience that God actively participates in. And, uh, you know, when you, when you have sex with your partner for the first time, God waves the magic spirit sex toy and everything is fantastic. Well, we know that not to be the case. And so the, the problem is that the Christian wants uh, sex to be this, this somewhat magical uniting experience. But there are plenty of people that live in sexual relationships in their marriage who don't like the sex. It just doesn't work that way. And so what you've actually been asked to do is sign a contract that you have no idea whether you're actually going to want to fulfill or not. And if you don't want to, because it turns out that you're not compatible with your sexual partner, you have no recourse. It's not as if the New Testament allows for bad sex to be a reason for divorce. And so while I understand the theology, I think the theology is just wrong about the biology. Well, and if I had to... Go ahead, Darren. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting. I was just going to say that theology actually promotes the bad sex in the first place because sex is just like everything else. It's a skill. And you have to yeah. practice that skill in order to get good at it. And if you've got two people that have absolutely no clue what they're doing getting married, and then they have these really high expectations of what sex is going to be, of course, it's going to be crappy because the first time you have sex, it's always crappy because you don't have the skill to actually make it good. Right. Well, or, or it's, the it's, it's great for at least one partner for three strong seconds. Um, the uh, the but the, the the issue is, yes, sex turns and our desires turn. And so if a woman is stuck with a man after a few weeks who she just detests because he's awful, um, she can't say no. And you can't use the spiritual headache forever. I don't know. I can't. I can't do it now. I'm on my spiritual vision quest. Can't do that. Can't do that forever. Uh, and so, at some point, um, she, she has to submit or or be raped um, by her husband because her body is not her own. This is this is just a thing that I I would argue there's no defense to and uh, hopefully the when the christians come at me next week uh they will uh they will defend defend this uh and i will give any christian as much time to to talk about this in, in defense as they want to but we're so close to the finish line uh number four if a young couple 
suffered the kind of disaster that left one of them incapable of sex, would it be okay for them to mutually agree to let the other have sex with someone else? As a Christian, I would have said no. Both parties are stuck with celibacy for the rest of their lives, even if the rest of their lives is another 70 years. Um, as a, uh, on the other, but before I, before I walked away from faith, I would have answered this question differently. I would have answered it with a lot more practicality. And I would have said, yeah, I think God would understand. And now I would say, uh, yeah, what kind of, what kind of loving relationship is this that you would, uh, deny your spouse the ability to have sex simply because you can't, um, so I, I've, I've gone all the way the other way on that. Does anyone have anything different on that? No, I would just add that um, it does, uh, whether the other person's capable or not of sex, I think as long as everyone's uh, consenting and knows what's going on, then however they decide to make their relationship is perfectly fine, whether they want to do polypods or throuples or monogamy or however they want to do it. Yeah, I, I think this idea of, of, of forced celibacy because your one and only partner can no longer have sex, or maybe they just don't want to have sex. Maybe they uh, realize, you know what, I'm, I'm asexual and I just don't want to do this. I love you. I want to stay with you. I want to support you and all you do, but I don't want to have sex with you. Yes, do, do the sex thing with somebody else. You can Humanist. do it. Right. Well, Part of the disconnect between the Christians and non-Christians here, but more specifically between the uh, the three monotheistic religions and those who are not religious, is that we recognize a wide range of things that can uh, cause a relationship to end, and so um, sexual infidelity, if that's the you know if you want to use these sorts of very loaded spiritual terms. Um, that's just one reason that a relationship might end. And, and uh, the non-religious community recognizes that there are a great many other reasons. Uh, you, you beat my kids. Um, we just don't like each other anymore. One of us has a job and needs to move across the world and the other one doesn't want to leave or whatever. There are all sorts of reasons, all sorts of very good reasons that relationships can end. And the part of the problem with this spiritual view of sex is that not only does it cause you to recognize the, the sexual relationship in some hyper-focused way, but it causes you to lose track of other very good reasons uh, that you might not want to stay with a partner. So I, I think before you even get started here, there's this really big disconnect. Yeah, and so I'm, not I'm not sure how to fix that. I'm not slowing down to get uh, Dale's thoughts on these because I know that it all goes back to spiritual harm, which is the piece that I want to go back and uh, cover later. So just so just so you know. Um, and then uh, question five. See, we're almost done. Um, does biology play a determining part of sexual preference? Obviously, this is um, a question that we can unpack uh, for three hours easily. We are not going to do that. Uh, this. Um, this deals with uh, homosexuality and or non-binary um, gender, gender fluidity, um, all that. And uh, so the only question I want to uh, deal with is, is there a biological component to it? Uh, yes. if, if you're gay, is there a biological component? Darren says yes, I think. And Andrew, it's not a component, it's the entire thing, the biology. It, it, the, the evidence is overwhelming. The biology is what your sexual preference is. I, I would agree. And, and your gender identity and your sexual preferences uh, are, are not the same thing. Right. And that's this is, also all biology. It's, it's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's YY for a girl, XY XX, for... XX for a girl. XX for a girl, YY, XY for a boy. Um, and... And yet those are not the only two options. We have uh, XXY, XYY, uh, and uh, you know, this is, this is just genetics at the most base 
level. Uh, and so if, if you're saying that the thing that makes you a boy is XY and the things that, thing that makes you a girl is XX, when you have some other combination of that, you're something else. And, and that's, and I don't, I don't actually care what the gross anatomic and anatomical parts are, uh, at that point. I was reading a genetics article. Uh, if I can find it, I'll send it to you so you can put it in the show notes, but I think it's really important for this part of, of this conversation on SNS. Um, while it is the case that, uh, male sexual characteristics occur from the Y chromosome, it is not the case that the entire Y chromosome is devoted to just male sexual characteristics. Here's why that's important. We do have rare instances uh, that, are, that are now well documented of someone who has a Y chromosome that does not have uh, gross external male sexual characteristics. And so all I'm saying is even the biology where uh, where chromosomes are concerned is quite sophisticated. It is possible to miss that part of the Y chromosome that gives you uh, male sexual characteristics. And we also have documented cases where female sexual characteristics, which occur on the X chromosome, are missing. I didn't know this was a thing until last week. Um, and like I said, if I can find the uh, if I can find the study, I'll send it to you because I think it's. Uh, it's just another one of those misunderstandings where even when we when we say, oh, well, XX is female and XY is male and XXY and XYY are possible and even more exotic combinations, that doesn't in itself even answer all of the possible genetic, uh, genetic possibilities. It's a much more uh, broad landscape. Right. And it's non-professionals recognize. It's not as simple as gender fluidity either. Um, so that's not the that's not the only thing that we're talking about. And I don't want to conflate um as I have done uh, so far, gender fluidity with um sexual preference. So uh you can be all man and still have a sexual preference for a man. You can be all woman and still have sexual preference for a woman, or you can be any uh, combination of the things, or you can be, um, you can have masculine traits, what we what we consider masculine traits, and be a man or a woman, and have feminine traits and be what we would consider man or woman. So it's 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 actually a big, much bigger stew pot than all of that. But I I would say that one of the one of the reasons that you know that your sexual preference is uh, natural uh, is, you know, you don't have to interview that many people. You can, you can just, first of all, start with yourself and say, who makes you horny? Um, who, you know, who, who, who makes you, who, who does that special thing for you? Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're, um, you know, what we call a straight male or female, you know, it's going to be, you know, a type of guy or type of gal, you know, it's going to be the opposite sex that does it for you. And it's not something that you think about. It's not something that you decide. You don't, you didn't decide that you liked girls. You just like girls. And that why would it be bad if you did? Well, no, I, you're right. It wouldn't be bad if you did, but I, I'm, I'm just saying it's not something that you did. You, you didn't. <laughs> There was no point in your life where you said, you know, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go with girls. Um, no, that's that's what did it for you. And if you're bi, by the way, you didn't decide that either. Uh, now you might choose what flavor you want to have tonight, but you didn't decide whether you are turned on by both girls and boys. You just are. Uh, and if if you like the same sex, once again, you didn't decide that you like the same sex. You just like the same sex and uh, people of the opposite sex don't turn you on. It's it's a it's a thing that uh, we don't have to apply any cognitive effort uh, to to understand sex, our sexual preference. And so, uh, you know, the, I think the best the Christian can say here is that, yeah, but, you know, whatever the mechanism is that uh, 
chooses our sexual preference was broken in the fall. Um, so once again, it, it, it's going to come back to spiritual harm and spiritual uh, good at some point. And so those things will be covered. But I just wanted to I just wanted to uh, have a, a chance to lay out some of the landscape here that this, in fact, all of this is biological. And so you can come up with excuses for why the biology is that way. I think it's very hard for a Christian to say, but there's no biological component to it. You can just say the biological component is broken. Um, so that said, uh, we will we will see how the Christians respond to some of this next week. Uh, and we will um, do uh, do some discussion uh, a little bit after this to talk about uh, spiritual harm. And I'll, I'll put that in a separate um, show, I think. So it will be a little bonus show for the middle of the week. Um, but I'm I'm very anxious to have that conversation right now. So I'm gonna cut I'm gonna cut it off right there. I'm gonna say uh, thanks for uh, listening. Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Uh, you can send me an email. I read them all. Skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, let's talk about sex. Uh, until next week. Bye bye.